This is The Next Turn, the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. Welcome to The Next Turn. I'm Martin Wilson. And after a lifetime in the sport as an athlete and a coach, I wanted to take a deep dive and look into the thoughts and ideas of some of the smartest, most successful, and interesting people around the world of skiing. I wanted to find common passion, thoughtful ideas, and try to pick their brain and see what's next. So that's what we did. We started talking to athletes and coaches and organizers, alpiners and free skiers, et cetera, et cetera, and try to get a broad cross-section of ideas and find out what the next turn is. And as always, I'm joined with friend and colleague, Jeff Vibert. Jeff, how are you doing? I am awesome, Martin. And you? I am very well, thanks. Staying warm. So I'm excited about this episode. You have a great interview with U.S. ski team member, World Cup ski racer, Alice Merriweather, former 2017 World Junior Downhill Champion from Atatash Mountain. Yeah, it was great to um, catch up with her. Oh, we actually spoke this summer. Um, she was really open with her time and, and it was a great interview. She was really uh, um, thoughtful and insightful on a whole bunch of different subjects and I'm looking forward to sharing a, a whole idea of it. So Martin, recently Alice reported that she's taken some time off this year to deal with an eating disorder. Yeah, it's, um, it was tough to hear, um, but I loved uh, the idea that she's being very open, um, getting help, getting treatment, um, being really honest. And I think she's not only doing herself a service by doing it that way, but she's been a great role model for a lot of other people. Um, and again, you'll get the sense of her kindness in this interview and her good soul. And, and I hope you get a feel of it. Um, again, I hope you enjoy the interview. And we started off by talking about um, academy life and the environments that she's been in for training and hope you enjoy. Here we go. Alice Merriweather. Alice Merriweather. Hello, Martin Wilson. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You've got a lot on your plate, huh? Yeah, weirdly, everyone's like, I have so much time now. I'm just doing nothing. I sit around all day and I'm just like, I don't have a moment of free time ever, but it's kind of- oh, where, So you've, you've got classes at Dartmouth right now? Yeah, well, not at Dartmouth, but, yeah, but through <laughs> online. <laughs> um, I'm in uh, Utah, you, actually. You're in, you're in Park City as, you, mm -hmm. as we speak? Yeah. Um, and that's where you've been locked down for a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of as soon as things got crazy or like when they canceled the season, I was already out here getting ready to drive up to Pano for Norham yeah. finals. And so yeah. basically I got a red eye flight back to Mass, grabbed my car, drove out here and decided Hunkered I wanted down. to post up here. And then the moment that I was like cleared from quarantine for coming back from Europe was the day that they shut down the COE. And so... Haven't been oh, able no. to actually use the facilities I came out here to train at, but it's all good. <laughs> what are you doing for workouts? Um, I was able to get a bar, like a kind of travel bar um, and rack and weights from the gym when they shut it down. So mm -hmm. um, I have those stored down at my boyfriend's house in Salt Lake and we just lift outside <laughs> on his, in his yard. At least you got a quarantine buddy then. Yes, it's nice to have him. I'm not totally by myself out here. <laughs> that, that's Sam, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Do you have any roommates as well? Uh, no, I'm currently kind of mooching off of his 
family, his grandparents have a um, condo at Deer Valley, just like a little like 70s ski condo. So I've been hiding out here, but spending a lot of time down in Salt Lake with him and his housemates too. (laughs) Doesn't sound like an awful deal. No, I am really lucky. (laughs) What's your major in school? I haven't even had to declare yet. Technically, I'm still a freshman. Nice. Um, But I think I want to do something either like environmental science or geography, maybe. Are you able to do any stuff during the winter or any classes at all? Mm -mm, I haven't attempted to. Um, I mean, they don't do anything online. This is the first time they've ever offered anything online. So Mm -hmm. it's the first time I've been able to do anything remotely. Um, And being on the speed circuit, it would be impossible. Like the amount of school that I would miss. Like professors just wouldn't allow it to stand. <laughs> Possible, yeah. Anyways, let's just let's go back to the beginning, if you don't mind. How did you like? How did you start with? You know, the generic question. How did you start in the sport? <laughs> um, I'm actually a NASTAR story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my older brother and I, well, our parents would take us up skiing in uh, the Mount Washington Valley, and uh, we started doing NASAR and loved it. So one year, my brother made NASAR nationals out in Park City. So we came out here for nationals and I was livid that I hadn't qualified. Um, I had to go watch him at nationals and we like met Peekaboo Street, I think. Bodie was here signing autographs. Like it was a big deal and it was kind of our first taste of the ski racing world and, and we liked it a lot. So um, our parents decided, okay, we'll sign them up for Adatash race team. Like, you know, they'll do it a few years. They'll go play soccer, do something else, you know, yeah. they'll get tired after a couple of years. And, uh, yeah, here I am. They probably have a lot of regrets. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> definitely been some ups and downs along the way, but yeah, it just took off. I think, I mean, a lot of my passion comes from chasing my brother around the hill um, and my cousins just it was a family activity and then it was a fun like not race oriented activity at Atash like yeah I enjoyed competing but I wasn't you know I didn't excel immensely right away I just had enough of a steady incline that eventually come like eighth grade my parents decided okay like would you actually want to go to a ski academy? So for freshman year, I ended up at SMS. But it's it's funny in the first thirty seconds you mentioned the the highs and lows and, and the ebbs and flows. Um, well, here's my first question: Did you fall in love with skiing before you fell in love with ski racing? Absolutely, one hundred percent. It was just like ripping around glades at Adatash and Bretton Woods and Wildcat and just having fun skiing with my family. That's where it starts, huh? When, when was the first time that other than the NASTAR said, when was the first time you got into gates and thought of yourself as a ski racer? I think it's hard to identify one moment where I like really kind of started to identify as a ski racer. I think that it was always where I felt most comfortable. Like I, I loved going up to Adatash on the weekends and I 
I felt more at home, like with my ski friends and in that environment than I did like at middle school. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that anyone feels great at middle school, but right. <laughs> um, I, it just was a much more comfortable atmosphere for me. And so I think it probably wasn't until maybe fifth or sixth grade. And when I had my first taste of success and, you know, probably did well at a little regional Hampshire race that I was like, Oh, huh. If I like put a little more work into this, maybe I could actually be good. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I've always been, a uh, kind of, you know, put your head down, work hard and see where you go. Mm-hmm. It's not like I need to get to this point in my career. Like I need to do this. I have to reach these goals. Otherwise I'm a failure. It's just like, I'm going to try my hardest and ride it out. <laughs> so very process oriented. Mm-hmm. When you got to um, the academy eighth or for ninth grade freshman year, Mm-hmm. did that change a lot sort of your path did that change your thinking your effort I guess it didn't change my approach to the sport I think in deciding to go to a ski academy I just that was kind of the moment that I said, okay, like I'm going to commit myself to this. And so it wasn't the act of actually going that changed anything. It was kind of committing to the idea of going to a ski academy. That was what really set my path on, on trying to be as good as I could be at ski racing. Um, Once I got to SMS, the only thing that changed was the resources and the access to coaching to skiing to working out like it just opened up a whole new world where I could work four times as hard and I could actually put so many more hours into the general process of being a better skier than I could when I was just at home in Massachusetts so the return was a little bit more apparent from like yes okay that makes sense now before you got to um to Stratton most of your skiing experience, I'd imagine, was was co-ed. Mm-hmm. As a U16, was it co-ed at the time, or was it separate genders? Um, my freshman year was actually my first year FIS, because um, oh. it was before the age change, oh, so it was, right. still, it was my first year J2, and because I was old for my grade, or I'm old for my grade and young for my skier, so I was one of the few freshmen that was also racing FIS. So most of your experience has been with a, a women's program. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you get much time to train with the guys, be with the guys? Did you ever feel, has there ever been a time or projects that you've been in with guys? Um, I mean, at SMS, things were pretty separate. Like we would be on the same trail, but not often on the same course. Um, even camps, like <laughs> I think we would be in the same places sometimes, but not always. I think that they made a concerted effort to split up the boys and the girls, um, which was a bummer. I mean, I loved training with the boys. It was 
nice to have that extra pace. And there was something about skiing with them that just kind of, I don't know, there's, <laughs> I've always wanted to like, okay, I want to be faster than the boys. Mm -hmm. I think that I first noticed that when I was a J3 in New Hampshire. And I remember one race at Wildcat beating all of the boys at the race and being so proud and just like, yeah, like why girls can do anything. We're better than the boys. Um, and that was powerful. So it was a bummer that everything was so separate at SMS. And even now, like with the US ski team, a lot of our camps are separate. We don't go to the same, like we don't go to Chile with the men's team or um, do a lot of our prep camps. Like we're in copper with them, but we don't train on the same course as them. And that makes sense a little bit more <laughs> because a World Cup men's downhill is very different than a World Cup women's downhill. But the few times that we have overlapped, I've learned so much like watching Steve and Travis glide on the same glidey super G course that we were on. Like, it's really cool to go watch their video and like look at their tuck and see exactly what they're doing on like, to be able to compare that directly on like the same course is, is really helpful. Um, and I think that it's an underused resource to have boys and girls train together. That's interesting. Um, if if the if the men's environment brings some intensity and something to chase a little bit more pace what does the um what does the women's environment give you that the men's doesn't i mean the women's environment is like very much i guess for general training i think it's better to more often train with your own gender or at least I mean I think that being co-ed all the time would be beneficial or it wouldn't hinder anyone's training except for the volume of people on each course mm -hmm. um I think that the benefits of training like it's not specific it's not gender specific I think that on the women's side like that's our staff that's our team so to train with you know the the team of people that you're familiar with is really helpful like i know how my teammates will respond like we interact really well together and we enjoy pushing each other in training and having that little bubble and always being able to train together in that group is really powerful when it's a good environment throughout your career um have those environments, that ninth grade environment, it was that different from the environment that you had around you in 12th grade and onto the national team. What was the evolution of those environments and, and those groups? And sort of what did you pull out of each of them along the way? Yeah. Um, I mean, they have been kind of ever changing. Um, it really depends on the year and like if everyone in your group is skiing well, if everyone in your group is skiing poorly, like the group dynamic can change so quickly, even if it's the same people from year to year, which it has been the past few years. But I guess the ninth grade environment, I mean, that was just a whole new world for me to go into a this team mm -hmm. and kind of be a young up and comer and 
be chasing after, you know, the top girls at the academy and, and wanting to be like them and wanting to beat them. Um, but with that, I think one thing that's more prevalent in young girls ski racing is just the like added social structure and the drama and I mean maybe it's heightened at a ski academy but it definitely felt the environment felt a little toxic at times um to no fault of the staff like I think it was all athlete driven um and it's just kind of how things are at that age you know high school is kind of a messy time as everyone's trying to figure out who they are um and so that whole high school environment was pretty volatile I'd say um because there's jealousy and there's competition and it's it's kind of in all aspects you're competing academically socially and on and off the hill so it's it's pretty intense <laughs> can you um, can you think of the ebbs and again the ebbs and flows of those environments i'm sure there's been some healthy times and some toxic times of those environments would you say that if if you were to look back and think of the environments could do you think you could match up your success or successes along the way with those environments I don't know if my skiing was even consistent enough in high school to match it up with those periods. I think I tried as hard as I could to kind of separate myself from that because I knew that if I got sucked into a lot of the drama that it would hinder my skiing ability and my athletic ability. Um, one thing that I did that I was really helpful was at some of the regional races. And then when I started going to NORAMS, I formed a friend group of girls from outside of SMS. And that was really powerful because we weren't constantly competing in the same school social sphere. Um, we just had each other at races and it ended up being a really, a really good support structure. And there are three of those girls that I'm still really close with today. Cool. Um, and so I kind of used that as a tool, just making friends outside of, of the ski academy. And I guess I also at the time didn't realize that it was such a kind of toxic competitive environment because that's just all I knew as a fifth gear. When I made the D team right after graduating, and I joined, it was a group of girls that had been together on the national training group for a couple of years for the most part. Um, and then a couple of older veterans like Paula had already been on the B and C team for a while. Anna Marno had been on the team for a while. Um, Katie Ryan. And I joined that team kind of expecting that same drama and, you know, girls being catty, whatever and didn't experience any of it. It was just like, a, we all have the same focus. We're all here to work really hard and we're gonna build each other up. We're gonna make each other better. And that made me realize that there can be a really healthy team environment and girls can support girls. It doesn't have to be, like even when we're all living together or like in close quarters all the time, it's not always gonna be perfect, but it doesn't have to be 
terrible either. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the next turn. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay up to date, subscribe to the podcast. Now back to the interview with Martin, where he asked Alice about what makes a healthy environment. You spoke a little bit about it right then, but what are the key ingredients to a healthy environment? Um, I think respect is huge. Just, I mean, on so many levels, just respecting people's space, respecting people's routines, respecting that we all come from different backgrounds and kind of all have different norms, Um, especially now. I mean, at a ski academy, everyone's a little bit more similar to one another, but even in that environment, I think that there needs to be a bit more of a focus on just like letting everyone do what they need to do to thrive and to be their best self, I guess. Um, Cause it's, that was kind of our team. Like we've had team meetings the past few years where we meet multiple times a year like with the sports psychologist, we go over like our team's boundaries are like what we want to achieve together, how we're going to get there. Um, and I think that those meetings alone are just really powerful in setting your team's mutual goals, talking about what boundaries you think are really important and just making it clear, like voicing to everyone else, like this is a safe space. Like we can talk about these things and be adults and be mature, but like, these are my limits and I need you to respect me on these few things. And I don't know, setting those clear boundaries, I think can lead to a really healthy team environment. What role do coaches play in creating that environment or, or, or holding that environment sacred? I mean, they've insisted that we like revisit these, like even all this winter, um, they were the ones that, kind of saw like my team this year we hit kind of a January lull and we were all getting kind of tired and cranky and they're like hey we're gonna have a team meeting and we're gonna go revisit the values that we set in November when we were at Copper and so we like sat down called up the sports psych we all revisited that and that was coaches uh it was coach driven and so I think that by having them participate too it's not like when we have those meetings, it's just the athletes, it's the entire staff and all the athletes. And so for everyone to be on the same page and to feel not like the coaches are there telling us what to do or controlling us, it's that we're all equals and this is for all of us to get better. I think that that is really powerful and and really improves the team environment. Can you talk a little bit about that level of ownership that you're taking in your own program now and Yeah, for sure. I mean, going back to ninth grade, like jumping into fists, it definitely feels like you have no idea what you're doing. So you're kind of at the mercy of the environment and you need a bit more direction at that point in your career. I know I I did. Um, But at the same time, it's never... I guess I was, I've been really lucky and I've had a bunch of amazing coaches over the course of my career um, that, that really encouraged me to kind of figure it out on my own while being there for anything that I needed. Um, 
And I think some of that is just like an inherent want to be better. Like it, it kind of, the drive has to come from within before it can come from an external source. If you don't have a drive within yourself, then you're not going to respond positively to someone pushing you. Yeah. You can't push rope. They say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's, I think having that base drive then allowed me to be pushed by coaches. But again, if someone's pushing you and you don't feel respected, it almost encourages the opposite response. Mm -hmm. um, I think weirdly, one of the things that kind of made me realize that it can be a conversation with on-hill coaches, conditioning coaches and whatnot was when I injured my back. Um, which was actually right when I walked onto the team that senior spring, I hurt my back and uh, had to change my program a bunch because of it. And so I couldn't squat, I couldn't clean, I couldn't deadlift. And that whole summer, like my conditioning coaches kept trying to add those movements back into my program. Like I'd take a couple of weeks off of it and then we'd try to add them back in and then I'd hurt myself again. Like it was just not a, functional pattern. Yeah. Um, and so as I like started to understand how my back was working and what was making it hurt and what would make it better, I realized that I had a voice and I could, if I stood up for myself and said, I know that if I deadlift, I'm I might yeah. tweak my back. I'm not going to be able to do anything for two weeks. Therefore, maybe I shouldn't deadlift. Like that was kind of my first stage of, of finding my own voice in my program and that opened it up to, you know, now it's a conversation with my coaches on the hill. It comes with a lot of confidence too, with feeling like, okay, I know how to ski now. So if my coach tells me that my line should be up here, but I think my line should be over here. Now I feel comfortable having that dialogue. And I think part of it is confidence. Part of it is actually being at the level that <laughs> you can like I I definitely didn't feel good enough about myself to to have those conversations until very recently mm -hmm. um but I think that it also comes from having coaches that encourage that and say like having a coach come forward and be like I want this to be a conversation like you know we're working together here I'm not telling you what to do I think that that's really powerful and could be helpful at all levels of the sport um how much of your success is because of your skiing and how how much is it because of the the woman you've become uh, finding your voice finding confidence finding all those things and, and your identity how much of that plays into it i mean skiing is a hugely mental sport um and I think, I don't know if it's 50-50, because obviously skiing, you know, the physical part of the sport is, is the essence of it all. But you can only get so far in the sport if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't feel comfortable pushing yourself, if you don't love it. Um, and like, if I didn't identify as a ski racer, if I didn't want to do this if I didn't love it I wouldn't still do it um 
And so I think that a huge part of, of where I am today is just the passion that was instilled in me from such a young age that really carries over. And it has, as I've improved as a skier, it's built me into the person. It's kind of happened. I guess it's a, a hand in hand sort of growth. Well, you find this in other, like you're an amazing piano player. Um, you're, you're, you could probably pick up any sport any day now. What are some of your out, outlets to keep you well-rounded and grounded? Um, I mean, being able to do school every spring is really important for me. Um, I feel lucky that I am able to attend college even part-time. Um, it's such a nice challenge. And it, it, I mean, Dartmouth is very different than ski academy but again like the work ethic that was instilled in me during those years has fully carried over and so I actually love sitting down and like grinding on homework and you know it's miserable sometimes but it's it's fun to use my brain and I I really enjoy that I enjoy learning in general um so school is a huge part of reminding me that there is a lot more to life than just skiing um and then I think another huge thing that just centers me is, is getting outside and enjoying not only the places that we get to travel, like, you know, we're in Italy for a month every winter and to go out and just take a stroll and be like, oh my God, I'm in the Dolomites. Like, yeah, not so bad. <laughs> this is unreal. I cannot believe that I get to do this. <laughs> um, I think that's really important to recognize the how lucky I am, recognize my privilege and traveling the world and doing what I love. Um, and then also, I mean, in a, on a smaller scale, like when I'm conditioning in the summer, going out and hiking and enjoying the mountains around Park City or getting out on the ocean when I'm home in Massachusetts, just taking time to kind of decompress and be in nature and just kind of, okay, take a step back. Like <laughs> ski racing doesn't exist for the next few hours. Just calm down, breathe. Mm -hmm. That's really huge and keeping me sane. Is that a purposeful intent or does it just happen? Um, it is purposeful a lot of the time. And yeah, I definitely, like, I just feel, I always feel kind of rejuvenated and refreshed when I get back to my car after a good hike where I've just like kind of let my mind wander. It's sometimes I actively try to stay really present. And sometimes I just like, instead of focusing on the present, I just like let my mind go. And that's almost equally as refreshing just to kind of not care where my train of thought goes. Um, but that happens to me when I hike and I'll, you know, not even notice an hour pass and suddenly I'll be at the top of the mountain not remember how I got there um and I really enjoy that but we also like I work with a sports psychologist and we hammer mindfulness um both in competition and even just in everyday life like it's hard to balance a lot of things and I get stressed out and and anxious and you know everyone goes through ups and downs, not even just in skiing, but in life. And I've used a lot of the mindfulness lessons 
just in applying to those those down periods and kind of recentering and remembering it's okay to take a minute it's okay to not feel okay all the time can i pry a little bit there um <laughs> get in the office with you I guess what are the similarities between the mindfulness that you're using on in a competitive fashion or a training fashion and how similar is it to the mindfulness that you're carrying over to your day-to-day -day life is it similar is it different it's super similar there's so much crossover there i mean in essence it's just recognizing good or bad thoughts and choosing where to direct my attention so you know in everyday life if i'm really stressed out about an assignment I have coming up or something, if that thought isn't benefiting me, if it's not making me any better as a person, if it's not making me do this assignment any better, then why am I focusing so much attention on it? Mm -hmm. It's just about kind of, you know, acknowledging it and putting it away. It's kind of a similar thing with if you're training, if I'm training and I, I feel afraid of a element of a course or I'm worried about the speed that I might get up to. I use that same tactic of recognizing, okay, like focusing on this isn't making me any better. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, like acknowledge it, put it away and focus on something that will make me better. Have you had in, in the programs that you've been in, has there ever been a emphasis on mindfulness or have you had, to yeah. go, have you had to go elsewhere for it? Um, I guess now we like the our team works with a sports psychologist and so it's team driven that we're focusing on mindfulness through through him um but like at Stratton there weren't really a lot of sports psych resources um and it even took a couple years of being on the ski team before I found out that we actually had access to um sports psych and i think that it's a really underutilized resource i think that every athlete would benefit from some level of sports psych but i guess as i say that it also is important that it's voluntary because i've had like sports psych forced on me before mm -hmm. and if it doesn't align then you're not like if you don't want to be there if you don't want to be committing to mental training then you're not going to get anything out of it so this, it's kind of a double-edged sword there i guess i think you're spot on you well, i think to, that goes for anything seek it out but it can be really beneficial yeah i think that goes for anything if if you're not ready to have the conversation you're not ready for the outcome right um exactly can you think of it like when you look around the world cup and the finish line can you think of anybody who's been successful but not happy? Yeah, I think that a lot of people are successful, but some people are really success oriented. And if they're success, if you know they find success in skiing, then yeah, that will make them happy. But I think that that's maybe 50% of people and I think I know I'm not one of those people like I'll be happy with a good result but that's not the the end goal I guess isn't just like you know I've always wondered like what happens if I win a world cup 
I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be really stoked and I'm going to celebrate, but there's going to be a part of me that says, okay, what next? Mm-hmm. And it's not that it, it would make me unhappy. I think that there are a lot of people who recognize that there's a lot outside of ski racing. So pure ski racing success doesn't confine their happiness. Do you think you could win a world cup without being happy? Yeah, I think to a a large extent. I think that there are always going to be variables. So like to say that, you know, you have to wake up and feel like perfect on race day. That's, you know, that's not it. No, but at the same time, I think that you have to have a certain level of, of confidence and happiness and like trust in your program, trust in yourself. Um, and kind of, and happiness will come with those things mm-hmm. or like a general, like level of, of comfort contentment. Um, and that can help. That will definitely increase your chances of success. It's funny. Someone recently, I think it was on an inst- my friend's Instagram story said, is being content a good thing? And it made me think about it. Cause I, I realized, or I decided that yes, being content is good, but being complacent is really bad. That's a big difference right there. Mm-hmm. Right. I, it's funny because I used to, th- used to say that I never want to be content is what I used to say. And then I've, I've changed it. It's like, no, I absolutely want to be, I just don't. Yeah. Being content is great. It's like, you're comfortable in the moment, Yeah, but complacent is when you're comfortable, not progressing any further. Yeah. Or like topping out. Like, yeah, I don't want to ever be complacent. I appreciate that. Um, have you had many female coaches in your career? Um, at Adatash, I actually, like as a young skier, I had a fair number of female coaches. Um, I'd say the race team was maybe not quite evenly split men and women, but there was probably like a 40% female coaching staff, Mm -hmm. um, which was really awesome. Uh, and then at Stratton, I had, uh, Jamie Wiley Mm -hmm. as my coach, my freshman year. Um, but after that, it was, the women's team was coached exclusively by men. Um, and also on the U S team, we have a very heavily male staff, except for Karen Harjo, um, who is just the most badass. Oh, she is the coolest. Mm-hmm. And I feel so lucky to have her as our coach. Um, I actually first worked with her probably my sophomore year at like tri-region camps um, when she was a Western region coach. And even then I would always like want to be in Karen's group at the regional projects. Um, and so to now get to work with her every single day is is really cool she's such a positive influence because she is super knowledgeable in terms of tactics and technique but she also can just relate to us a little bit more and just like having that extra level is really impactful on all of us like she understands like 
why we get more emotional sometimes or like if I need someone to cry to on the hill like I go straight to Karen because she'll she won't kind of look at me like oh god um and I've also been lucky we've had um we've had some male physios but our physio right now or our uh PT that travels with us is awesome she is an ex-ski racer and she's just like Super, I mean, she's also extremely knowledgeable um, and so huge for like team moral support. <laughs> Just having her and Karen, having Tori and Karen uh, um, as, as female influences on the team is really lucky. Cause especially like looking at other World Cup teams, pretty much all of their staff, most teams have all male staffs and maybe have like a female physio mm -hmm. on occasion, but it's such a, a male dominated coaching environment. It's kind of crazy. What, what is the biggest difference that you get from a female coach, the female athlete relationship? Is there something that a female can bring to the table that you can't get elsewhere? I think that having a female coach just adds an extra level of empathy almost. It's like we have the shared female experience. And so when she, like if I'm having a shitty day, if I just wake up and I feel like, you know, get up on the wrong side of the bed, something is bothering me. I feel way more comfortable going to Karen because it seems, I don't know, it's like some of the like emotional ups and downs are way easier to present to a female coach than they are to a male coach. And so, especially I'm a very emotional person. So to have Karen to kind of go to and, and talk to about those things I guess it's just more comfortable to bring up certain things with a female coach than it is to approach a male coach with the same ideas or same problems. Interesting. I'd say the, yeah, the biggest thing is just like the idea of the shared female experience that just adds some comfort. What is the shared female experience? <laughs> I don't know, I keep saying it, but it's <laughs> a very <laughs> vague idea. Uh... I'd like to say a big thanks to our friend Sammy and all our friends at 4951. Check out 4951.com for all your Lisky gates and safety equipment needs and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Again, thanks to Sammy, 4951.com. Now back to the interview with Martin and Alice Merrill. Uh, we're back at the next turn and now we're continuing our conversation with world junior champion, USC team member, Alice Merriweather. Um, a couple things. Um, talk to me about a video called Boys, Food, and Autograph Signings. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Have you watched it? I have. And I, yes. I, not only is it entertaining and well put together, but I also think <laughs> that there's got to be, like, I, I know you well enough to know that there is a bit of an axe to grind in there. <laughs> I feel. Oh yeah. So that was in my animation film class that I took last year. Um, 
so boys food and autograph signings the video came about because of a time that three male coaches of mine sat me down and told me that I was distracted by boys well they said okay so this was coming off of my best season ever um I had won world juniors downhill that year I was really happy with how things were going and showed up at U.S. Nationals and and three of my male coaches sat me down and said we think you know we're just this is a preventative meeting but there there are going to be boys at this race and we're going to have an autograph signing and we don't want you to get distracted also you've been asking us a lot about uh about you've been really stressed about food lately and we just we want to make sure that you're not you're not distracted that you can still finish the season strong and i was kind of like well what the fuck <laughs> i was so like i pardon my french but i was so bothered like that will always stand out to me i will never forget that meeting because i just i left it like i tried really hard and i didn't cry in the meeting but it was like one of those meetings where it's like my chin was going and i was like you will not cry right now um because i just felt so disrespected and like they didn't trust me to it was as if like they thought i didn't actually care about skiing like i didn't care about how i finished my season like because i'd had one good result that I was going to be complacent. And I think I was super offended that they thought I was complacent because that's not at all who I am. And the idea that like <laughs> having boys around was going to be detrimental to my skiing or that an autograph signing, like that's ridiculous. Like I'd been to autograph signings before and that's not why I ski race. I don't ski race so that I can like sign children's hats. Like <laughs> that's not, that's not a motivator for me. It's, it's a perk, but it's not a motivator. Um, then the food thing was just a whole other, that was just ridiculous. I, anyway, those three things really stopped. So I, I put them into my film project last year. Did you ever circle up with that conversation or just make the video and drop the mic uh well the video came like two or three years after the meeting i did send the video to one of the coaches involved and i kind of i asked him if he remembered the incident and he like barely even had any recollection at least that he would admit um yeah i we never followed up it was at U.S. Nationals was the end of the year and there wasn't really any point to follow up with so kind of just stewed over it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good chuckle out of watching it and I watched it again the other day when I knew we'd be talking I'm like I'm gonna watch this again so thank you. Um, what, ad what advice would you give to a 10 year old girl or a 14 year old girl or a 17 year old girl maybe more importantly for that 17 year old girl that there's a real fork in the road of of what's going on 
in their athletic career and their their social life and their academic life and I think especially girls that go to academies have a hard can have a hard time identifying who they actually are when they get out of that environment what would you say helped you and what would you say to help them um I mean, across the board for the 10 year old, the 14 year old and the 17 year old, I'd just say, remember why you started skiing. Always remember the passion because if the passion isn't there for the sport, then there's no point in doing it. If you don't love it, why do you still do it? <laughs> um, so I think that just taking the time to remember how lucky you are to to have ski racing and and to remember how freaking fun it is to just go skiing not even skiing around gates just being outside with skis on your feet um but more specifically to the the 17 year old I think that it's important to listen to yourself and it's really hard to do that when you're that age and you have so many influences from all different directions. Um, yeah, people wanting to pull you in different directions, like different passions, like you discover that you enjoy doing different things around then. And it can be really hard to decide what you wanna do. And a lot of people will think that they know what you should do. I think that the most important thing is to really trust your gut to like hear those influences out and let them educate you and inform your decisions. But ultimately, you know what's best for you. And that's really important. Never let someone else like control your decisions, especially big ones that you make around that age that's incredible um what's the message you'd want to yell at every other coach and every other program and any other what like what is the thing that you want them to hear ah <laughs> i think first and foremost just respect the athletes not that they don't already um but i think that or maybe even just like show athletes that you respect them that much more because i think that like my high school coach or micah was my coach for most of high school and i always felt like we had such a good like mutual respect system where he was going to push me and he was going to call me out on my complaints or any of my bullshit. But at the end of the day, he respected how hard, like I was putting in the work and I knew that he respected that and that he was going to always like take that into account when building my program or, you know, telling me what to do. It was still very much like a conversation and I felt respected. And I think that that helps athletes maintain their passion. I think that that gives athletes extra confidence. I think that it's 
the basis of of a healthy team environment. I think that it all kind of comes down to respect, mutual respect. That's a wonderful answer. Thank you. Um, I can't thank you enough for this, Alice. Like, it, hopefully we can, I think you're saying a lot of things that a lot of other female athletes are, are feeling and thinking. And I've coached for a while and I'd like to think of myself as a progressive coach. I'm hearing things that I need to hear. And that's the whole purpose of this, just to, hear the common message in just different ways from different voices and bring more people to the table. Um, and and I, I really thank you for your honesty and uh, your willingness to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I thank you for you know making this podcast. I think it's really cool that someone's finally like <laughs> actually putting something like this together. Well, we'll see how it works out and I'll, I'll keep you in the Rolodex for next time I need a, a smart woman's voice. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Be well, stay healthy, and uh, keep working hard, okay? You too. Thanks, Martin. We'll be right back with Thoughts of the Day. Welcome back to the next turn. Um, First, thanks to Alice Merriweather for her time and her openness and her candor. We really appreciate the time and the insight. Um, It was a wonderful conversation, and um, it's so easy to cheer for. We're going to conclude this episode as we do, as we will with all our episodes with thoughts of the day, a quick little summation and see what our takeaways are from the, from the conversations that we had. So Jeff, have at, or what are your thoughts of the day? Martin, you know what? There are so many good things she talked about and so many, uh, relevant points to females in sport and pressures and, everything from, you know, expectations of coaches and performance and, you know, how, how you make the team and all those different things. But I really like the fact that uh, when she talked about when she made the ski team, how she was all of a sudden involved in decision-making and the coaches respected her and wanted her to voice her opinions and, you know, what it meant for her to be in or on the right line and, as opposed to like the top-down coaching part of it. So those are, I thought that was a really important message for coaches out there that uh, the athlete needs to be involved and have a say. I love that takeaway. That makes a lot of sense. And and it's such a a huge part of the success. For me, my thought is that despite everything that Alice is going through now um, with her eating disorder and, and that recovery, it's encouraging to see her take shape as a strong, balanced, confident human person. And it's, and, and I think she's got every tool she needs to, to, to face what she's facing and to overcome it. And she's got a great support system and you can hear it in the conversation. She's just a good balanced human being and it's great. And, I think this sport is at its best when it reveals these characteristics. And even though it's tough, um, my hunch is Alice is going to succeed. And regardless, um, she makes it really, really easy to cheer for her. And so, again, thanks to Alice for for sharing her time and her, and her openness. And I can't wait to see what she does next. So, Martin, what's the next turn? Uh, Swiss legend Michelle Jacine, no big deal. No big deal. World Cup winner just last week. Lang yeah. girl. Oh, leave out the Lang girl. That's going to make guest number three, Deb Armstrong, really mad. 
You'll have to stick around for that. We'll see you on the next turn. See you on the next turn.